This podcast is brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com, the leading online publication for risk management and security professionals within the healthcare industry. This is Howard Anderson, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today, we're talking about lessons learned from a health information breach incident. Our guest is Mickey Tripathi, President and CEO of the Massachusetts eHealth Collaborative. Thanks so much for joining us today, Mickey. Thank you, Howard. Uh, happy to do it. For starters, can you please briefly describe your organization for us? The Massachusetts Health Collaborative is a nonprofit organization that was founded in 2004 to um, facilitate the um, implementation and adoption of electronic health records and health information technologies, primarily in the ambulatory part of the healthcare delivery market. You recently wrote a lengthy blog describing your organization's experience with a breach and offering valuable lessons learned. So for starters, uh, please summarize the details of the incident briefly. It involved the theft of a laptop, right? Yes, it did. So the incident uh, happened when one of our employees had uh, a laptop with them while they were um, you know, sort of out in the field, stopped to uh, have an appointment, left the laptop in their automobile in a briefcase, and the briefcase was stolen. In what we believe, um, have every indication that it was just a, a random incidental theft. Um, the laptop wasn't exposed; just the briefcase was exposed, and you know, window broken, briefcase taken, um, and with all of its contents. As it turned out, the laptop had some patient demographic information on it, which uh, thus would constitute a breach of um, of PHI by federal standards and PII, which is personally identifiable information um, by Massachusetts state standards. Okay, in your blog, you offered a summary of eight lessons learned from the experience. Can you go over those quickly for us now, please, so people can learn from your experience? The first one was really just about, you know, sort of self-awareness. It was basically saying that if you're a physician practice or a contractor, as I said in the blog, you know, look in the mirror, look at your organization, and make sure that you really understand what's going on in the front lines of your organization. And one of the things that, uh, you know, that I think is probably true for many, many organizations, not because they're bad or negligent, I certainly don't consider us negligent, is that business processes develop over time, and organizations get big and complicated, and while everyone is doing the right thing and they believe that they're doing the right thing, sometimes things start to happen on the front lines that may not be fully in alignment with, um, you know, what your company policy uh, would, would require. And often, convenience is the enemy of good security practices. Um, it's not because any individual wants to violate good security practices because they have job requirements that suggest a certain level of performance and they start cutting corners, um, again, sometimes not even knowing that they're cutting corners in order to get their job done. So one of the things that, that we found was that we needed to do a really meaningful self-examination end-to-end of what's going on in your organization. And that's, you know, sort of one, the first lesson learned I would offer to, offer to any organization. And, and I would say any organization, the only organizations I know of that really know this are the ones who've been through a security breach. <laughs> and, um, and so what I'd like to do is see if we can get to the point that you don't have to go through the experience that we went through to actually do this kind of uh, self-assessment, as painful as it, might, uh, as it might be, and in particular your front lines. So understand where is that interface between your organization and the outside world and your customers, where you're getting that PHI or where you're giving it back, and what are the processes there on the front lines. Um, and I think you will almost always find that there's room for improvement. The second is that I would say that it is probably a good um, practice to assume that your portable devices contain some kind of sensitive information, whether it is technically PII or PHI may vary, but, you know, that would only be, I would argue, a moment in time 
um, but that um, uh, your mobile devices probably almost certainly contain some kind of sensitive information if you are dealing with PHI on a routine basis. The example that I drew on was not one that necessarily pertains to us because we're not a covered entity, we're not a provider organization, but we work with many, many provider organizations. And one of the things that we found is that they have mobile devices where they use their EHRs. And those EHRs um, on the mobile devices are synced up, you know, either with a cloud-based system or with a client-server-based system back in their office. And those EHRs are supposed to, whenever they are shut down, they're supposed to delete any locally um, temporary stored information that was there and made available uh, on that mobile device. Well, it turns out that we have found in almost every case that we've gone into that the mobile device actually has PHI on it. Um, either because the software wasn't quite as robust as suggested by the vendor, or more often the users were doing things that the vendor would probably say they shouldn't do, but the only, the only guard against that was just the statement that you shouldn't do it. So, for example, saving a referral letter in, in the system, often in, in many systems it creates a, a Word document, so it'll word opening up, create the referral letter, and then save it back into the EHR, there are many applications that either that would allow or, as a matter of routine course, save a temporary file on that uh, mobile device. And um, when the computer is shut down, it doesn't delete the, the um, temporary file. Or the physician might inadvertently or on, on purpose save it locally, again, because they don't know, they don't realize that it would constitute a, a real risk on their part. So that's why we strongly recommend now. We're strong believers in encryption and uh, as really a backstop to, uh, you know, to, to those policies. Um, doesn't mean that you shouldn't have those policies, but encryption is an important backdrop. Third one is that, you know, we would strongly recommend that you understand who is working in your practice and what they're doing. And I, you know, we certainly understand that, you know, part of the challenge with that is, you know, there are a couple of challenges. One is that physician offices are really, really busy, and it's hard, and there are people coming in and out all the time, and they have complex systems, not just IT systems, all sorts of other systems going on in their in their practice, and there are vendors um, who they, you know, rely on coming in and out, and it's hard to know what each and every one of them is doing. But that said, anyone who's touching your EHR system or touching PHI you probably ought to get a handle on what they're doing. And that doesn't mean that there is day-to-day, you know, sort of, you know, diligence applied to what they're doing. But it's probably worth having a conversation up front with that vendor about what exactly they're going to be doing in the way of uh, having to access PHI and how they handle PHI. And so one of the things that we do now, um, based on this experience as a company, is that we will force that conversation with our customers. So as a part of our initial, the initial part of our engagement, we have a little statement that we've created about here's the data that we expect to need access to, and here is how we treat the data and manage the data. You know, that doesn't really protect us from anything. I mean, if we have a breach, we have a breach, but we really use it as a vehicle to um, generate awareness and to have the conversation with the provider organization to make sure that they're aware of, of what we're doing. Because at the end of the day, one of the things that we, um, you know, that we found and we were surprised to find and somewhat disappointed um, because we wanted to take full responsibility for this was that the provider organizations who we worked for were, from a federal perspective, the ones who were really held responsible. They're, uh, the, from a, you know, the federal law basically assumes that you as a covered entity know what your vendors are doing. And if something happens with one of your vendors, one of your contractors, the responsibility is yours. Um, and I don't think many provider organizations really know that. I think that we've come to sort of take for granted business associate agreements and providers think that, well, I've signed a business associate agreement, so all the responsibility is now theirs. Not true from a, uh, from a federal perspective.
The fourth lesson I would offer is that you need to take it seriously. And what I mean by that is we, um, and, and we didn't come to this, um, you know, right away. Um, after the initial shock, we, you know, sort of contacted our attorneys, and I assumed that they would start to manage the process. And what we found was that it was a much more engaged activity than that. So it took us about a day or two to realize that we we're going to have to treat this as a serious crisis. And I use that, you know, term and, uh, uh, you know, sort of in the way that most people would understand crisis, which meant that I put everything aside, cleared my desk, cleared my calendar for the first day or two while we got our arms around what the problem was, and then got together a crisis team, which included our attorneys, my security officer, and our customers, and had literally daily meetings every day at five. We had an hour phone call where we managed the progress. We put together a project plan. My company took responsibility for all of this, but we did ask that all those people be a part of those daily phone calls. And obviously our attorneys were working as well by our sides. But we wanted to make sure that, you know, we were on a daily basis um, all in touch, all staying on top of any new information that was coming out as we did the forensic analysis. And most important, that we all were on the same page with respect to um, what the actions were that we needed to take going forward you know, as we were trying to navigate sort of the state and federal laws and what the notification requirements were and media notices and all of that. So I would certainly say treat it as a serious project, um, as you would in your organization. Even think of it as a crisis. Um, put together a crisis team. Put together a project plan. And then um, uh, treat it as your most high-priority project. The fifth lesson, I would say, is to not underestimate um, how difficult it's going to be just to figure out what you actually did and what you might have violated and what you might not have violated and what remediation you're supposed to do. Because one of the things that we found was that um, it takes a while to figure that out. And one of the recommendations that we've had is to, um, and this is going to the sixth one, is to keep a daily log of your activities from day one because we, um, and this was just advice from one of our board members who um, worked for a large provider organization who had been through a number of these before. And one of the things that we just, you know, came to recognize and they pointed out was that as hard as it is to get your arms around this and you're working really hard and, you know, you're doing, we think that we were, you know, doing everything in the provider's interest and the patient's interest, you'll still get criticism from those who are just, on, you know, they're on the outside and so they don't realize that, you know, some of this stuff takes time and just to figure out what actually happened let alone to then take the remediation steps. And so you'll inevitably find someone, a significant stakeholder, who will look at something where you've taken two and a half weeks, say, and they'll say, what were you doing? You were sitting on it. Um, and when, when, the, when the reality was that you were working incredibly hard just to get to the point that you could, you know, find out who needs to be notified of what and what actually happened so that you don't, um, you know, give anyone any misinformation. A daily log can really help with that. So number seven is, um, as I say, you know, in the blog to speak colloquially, um, you, you got to man up. I mean, what I mean by that is not staff up, but man up in the um, sense of take responsibility. Uh, take responsibility for your actions. It's really, really easy, we found, to, you know, sort of shuck responsibility and to say, well, it's their fault, and if only the process was better, and this is a multi-stakeholder thing, and it's your fault and our fault. The reality of the situation was we were the ones who had the information and made a mistake, and the, um, and the information was taken. And what we found was that everyone was incredibly um, respectful and forgiving. Um, and all of our customers, um, most important, the ones who, even the, even the customer who had the um, breach that was over 500 and who arguably suffered the most 
from all of this, had their name published on the federal list of large breaches, also had um, the media notices um, issued on their behalf that they had had a breach. They were, you know, incredibly sympathetic with our situation, and uh, and I think that a part of that was uh, was um, uh, because we took accountability from the beginning and uh, made sure that they understood that we took accountability and that we were going to do everything in our power to um, to make them whole. And, you know, some things you can't make, make them whole on, um, like their loss of reputation, but they were incredibly sympathetic with, um, with uh, our situation as well. And um, the last thing that, uh, that I would offer is really about the importance of not only taking responsibility as an organization, but um, having, taking responsibility from a management and leadership perspective. So one of the things that we found was that as we did sort of the analysis of the workflow and what our frontline people were doing and how so much patient information could be on a laptop in unencrypted form, um, one of the things we found was that some of the other people on the front lines basically were saying, you know, there but for the grace of God go I, basically meaning that this was a mistake by the person who probably, you know, they, they definitely violated company policy, they definitely did something they shouldn't do, but on the other hand, they probably didn't have enough education and training. They probably didn't have enough tools um, to allow them to do their job securely because, as I said earlier, um, you know, in, in our opinion, um, convenience is the biggest enemy of security. And so if you can, you know, we can say all we want about policy and you must do this and you have to do this, but if we're also telling them you have to, you know, cover these ten practices and you better get this done, you know, in the next two months, then um, you've given them basically a conflicting set of objectives and it's very hard for them to do that in a secure way if they're also not given um, uh, security tools that will um, allow them to get the job done according to what the um, uh, company goals are in a way that's secure. So we took responsibility as an entire company, and me, especially as a CEO, took individual responsibility for not providing the leadership and not providing that policies and not providing the tools to those on the front line who are just trying to do their jobs and, and just trying to do the right thing. So... That was a part of the responsibility that we took. So we did an end-to-end analysis. We brought in the frontline people. We um, asked them to describe in great detail what their workflow was, what their need for PHI was, and what circumstances, what are the scenarios. And then we crafted a set of policies that would abide by you know, all federal state laws as well as our company priorities, our ethical responsibilities as a company. And then we provided them with a set of tools, very specific tools, that we made sure that every one of our frontline people had and that um, we uh, made sure they had the training to use those tools. And we did each of those steps with the participation of the frontline folks so that those tools were um, things that the frontline folks participated in the selection of as well so that, uh, you know, gave us the confidence that from the organization, from the top all the way down to the bottom of the front, you know, to the front lines, I hate to say top and bottom, but from the, you know, the most separated, <laughs> um, meaning me as a CEO, to those on the front line had all bought in and all understood why we um, had all of these tools in place and um, we had some confidence that they were going to be used appropriately um, and on a daily basis. So those are the, you know, the eight lessons learned. As I said, you know, there are many, many others, I'm sure, and I'm sure many of your readers and listeners would have many others to offer. But, you know, I hope that, uh, that these lessons learned um, can be, you know, lessons that other people can, can take and learn from without having to go through our experience. So when you refer to tools, just to wrap up, you're now using encryption on all your mobile devices. Is that the most significant thing you did in making sure that people have that technology and know how to use it and are using it consistently? 
we have we have three specific tools that we rolled out. So one was um, just you know whole disk encryption. So every one of the laptops, and I made sure that I was the first person to get the whole disk encryption on my laptop, just to convey to the entire company you know that this is incredibly important and is high priority. Even though I never have PHI on you know on my laptop because I don't I don't do any real work. I'm just a CEO. So. But I wanted to make sure that whatever pain they were going through, because it is a little bit of an inconvenience, as you and your readers and listeners may know, um, it is a little bit of an inconvenience um, to have the encryption software on there because it takes time, you know, it adds to the boot-up time. But that said, you know, I wanted to make sure that everyone understood that this is really important. So whole disk encryption was one. The second was uh, a tool for file-level encryption. So often we want to be able to pass a file, get a file from a customer, and uh, you know, receive it on our end, but also be able to pass it back. And we want to be able to do that in a secure way. And so we we provided them a tool that they could you know zip something up basically, according to the FIPS encryption standard, and be able to um, give that to someone else. And then the last tool that we provided was um, was secure email. So you know we're also in circumstances, and this is just the team reporting that there's sometimes in circumstances where they need to be able to email something back and forth. It may be too big, or it may be inconvenient for them to try to zip it up and then send it, which would also be you know HIPAA compliant. And so we offered them the secure email option as well, which would basically be the open you know secure open channel for them to be able to send whatever they need to send. So those three tools, you know, was sort of the, the tool set, the, the toolkit that we came up with, with the um, input of the frontline folks that would uh, provide them with, you know, sort of every, enough flexibility to be able to use any one or any combination of those to get their jobs done. Well, thanks very much. We've been talking today with Mickey Tripathi of the Massachusetts eHealth Collaborative. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks so very much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.healthcareinfosecurity.com.